Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. No, I'm Adam. I'm Jennifer. And I, just to explain, um, when we realised we were coming up to 100, we suddenly sat down and made a list of all the stuff that we definitely should have covered in the first 100 and we somehow hadn't. And this film was one of them. Uh, it's always on. It's always in my top 10 lists of my favourite films. And I, I feel it's an injustice that it's taken us this long to get to it. But again, I think you need an appreciation for the for the genre maybe before this one really has its full impact. Um, so we're here to cover The Curse of the Crimson Altar uh, or The Crimson Cult for our American listeners. Don't know why. Don't know why they changed the title. Strange. Um, I don't know why they changed the title of this. Technically, it's Dreams in the Witch House. So, <laughs> Well, yeah. So before we get into that, Chris, who, who arrived late because he fell asleep on the sofa, is that because you were up late last night watching something amazing for today? Oh, if only that were true. <laughs> Partying, just in on his own, just, you know, <laughs> dancing around. Lockdown party. Yep. Yep. That, that would have been great. Um, no, just uh, working hard, tidying up the room as you do. <laughs> you know, special lockdown tidying. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, uh, we've been watching, um, we've been watching Brave New World and Still the Mandalorian. So okay. still not quite horror this week, but Brave New World is is it's quite interesting. Um, it's it's not horror, but it's quite an unusual, uh, I suppose, sci-fi. Yeah, um, seems pretty good. Have you read the book, Chris? I haven't, no. It's one of those where I always thought I probably should read it. Um, it seems to crop up you know, yeah. now and then. A um, bit like last week's um, 1984. You know, mm. Oh, yes. yeah. It's one of those that you do think you should read, but I, whether yeah, you I ever will or not. I go, exactly because of that, because it keeps coming up in so many mm. things. And then mm. one of my students was reading it for her English lessons, and I thought, you know what? If one of my students is reading it, I really should by my <laughs> age. But I did. It was really good, yeah. Yeah. yeah read. Yeah, I was just wondering if it's... Because um, apparently it's um, like the creative team um, is part... One of the uh, people involved is Grant Morrison. Okay. Who did The Invisibles and also did... I think it's called Happy. And again, I've not seen it, but I know that was based on one of his uh, comic series. Happy was very good. Mm, we like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd like to know what, and not only that, but also I'd like to know what he's done with Brave New World because he is pretty, mm. he's really good in that he tend, he'll often keep the essence of something, um, but he's not afraid to sort of mess around with bits of it. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. My favourite case in point of an example of Grant Morrison thinking is. He was writing for Justice League, and there was a a bad guy who developed a sort of exoskeleton suit, and you could program someone's data into it, and it made you like them. And this guy mm -hmm. had set it to be Superman, so he could defeat Superman. No one else could stop him. And then finally he was stopped because Batman reprogrammed the suit to the data of Dr. Stephen Hawking. <laughs> and basically, yeah, but basically made him a, para, a quadriplegic and knocked the fuck out of him. 
<laughs> and that's, that, that kind of says a lot about Grant Morrison to me. That's sort of like... <laughs> It's it wrong thinking, you know. It's yeah. sounding a bit South Park. But, yes. Uh, yes. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. I might have to look that up then. Um, yeah, I don't know how many episodes there are. I, I was interested. I didn't know much about it. Um, and watching, I was thinking, oh, I recognise some of these actors. And it turns out Eldon Einrich, Einrich who was Solo, Hand, oh yeah, uh, Han Solo in Solo, isn't it? So I've not seen him in anything else, um, but yeah, he's pretty good. And someone else, uh, Demi Moore, was in it as well. And it was Harry Lloyd, who was uh, Daenerys' uh, brother in Game of Thrones. He's in it. Oh yeah, I've, I've not seen him in anything else. Wasn't um, he? So yeah, isn't that the kid from Phantom Menace? Though, no, it's Jake Lloyd, isn't it? Uh, pass. Yes, could be. Um, excellent, Adam. What have you been watching? Um, well, there was one that I forgot to mention last time we were talking. What? Uh, Mortuary Chronicles, mm -hmm. which is I, th I think it's on Shudder, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really worth checking out if you like your anthology films, which. Mm -hmm. We do. Mm. I think we can safely say that. Um, yeah, that it was just really great sitting in a funeral home and they, uh, someone breaks in and they basically uh, get told the story that they, the mortuary has a library of everyone's story of how they ended up in the mortuary. And um, yeah, so they do sort of like four tales from that or whatever. And uh, yeah, I thought that was. Uh, really good. Clancy Brown is the uh, I don't know, the undertaker. Yeah. Sorry? The Moultrie attendant? Yeah, the Moultrie attendant, yeah. And it's Clancy Brown, I feel channeling a bit of Angus Scrim from Phantasm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's it's really worth checking out. I almost I, I, I would almost say it's one that we may cover one day or something like mm -hmm. that because it has that it has that same sort of feeling as say creep show where it's one you'll just end up going back to definitely uh, the first story particularly was so short and i uh, it was maybe Old five bathroom. minutes and i loved it yeah i thought it was yeah. absolutely brilliant i love i i really enjoyed the um the uh, I, I think it was set in the was it 80s super douche or was he a 60s yeah. super douche? I can't remember. But I, yeah. I enjoyed that. As, you know, <laughs> that was, just a baby's got to come out the way it went in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah that no, was, I thought that was, uh, and genuinely, me and Claire, Claire got very drawn into it, which is always a good sign. And, um, yeah, there was the, 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 the sort of... Who's the paraplegic woman? The one there. Um, she couldn't move. Catatonic. Oh, yes. Yes. Sorry, yeah. yes. Sorry, I completely... Yeah, I blanked that one almost. That's ridiculous. Yeah, especially where it's coming out in the lift. and Yeah. Oh, that was great. But I like... It was but, really good. But also the twist in the sort yeah. of wraparound story, Claire mm. just went, that's inside number nine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, but no more shall we say. No. I think. 
but yeah, go and watch it, people, because I think I think I would safely say that the the people who our regular listeners I think would all really enjoy definitely uh, Mortuary Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. Um, only other thing I watched was a uh, little known sort of film from the eighties called The Thing, because <laughs> Claire had never seen it and she mm. asked if she could watch The Thing. Excellent. Did you enjoy the thing? Ten out of ten dog acting. Excellent. <laughs> good, good. He is a damn good dog, that. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I think that, that was that was that was a success. And also yeah. I was just very proud of my of Claire of my, my pad one <laughs> for uh uh, asking to see the thing, it's like this, this know, is what lockdown's got to. She's yeah. now working her way through. <laughs> it's what lockdown's got to, especially because it was like, uh, yeah, no one trusts each other anymore, and we're really <laughs> tired. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <but> it's, um... <laughs> That's very true. I did the one thing I got watching it this time round was so, like, McCready's obviously pissed most of the time. And the other helicopter pilot is the stoner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a wonder any of them would make it back anyway, regardless <laughs> of like an alien intervention. Um, so I've been a super busy little boy in the last week. Um, I finally got round, because I bought it on Blu-ray. I believe it was Shudder and, uh, exclusive initially, uh, but then it got a Blu-ray release. So I picked up uh, Critter's Attack. Which is the time, yeah. Okay. Like, it's a mini series, or it's not a mini series. I think they did like eight episodes or something at 10 minutes each. Oh, um, okay. Uh, yeah, and then when you put it all together, it was just released on Blu ray as like a, a one long film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically, unfortunately, it's like if Disney, uh, Disney Kids Club did Critters. So, uh, Oh. Yeah, it's just lots of annoying teenagers running around and saving the day while all the adults are, you know. So is this the most recent Critters release? Yes. Yeah, I was really excited for it when I heard it was coming out. I was like, oh, maybe it's going to be a reboot and it's going to get things started again. Um, but yeah, it just, I mean, it, it was done on a fairly low budget. Um, so, you know, they did well to pull it off. But yeah, I, I think it's aimed at a much younger audience, unfortunately. Which, which, so I mean, that's good if it's going to get people into it. But yeah, I think people who love critters aren't going to enjoy this as the new entry in the franchise. Is it like Team Wolf mm. and iZombie? And yeah, yeah. I, mean, I love iZombie, of... but I haven't watched anything else like that because I think you know, yeah. one series like that is enough. Yes. Oh, I forgot that was a series. I thought you meant iZombie, the one that. The really low budget. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh. <laughs> that is a that's a good film, but yeah, bloody hell, <laughs> very 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 low budget, but it's brilliant. Um, I I actually watched a zombie film as well in the week. Uh, I don't normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did go back and rewatch Fido. Oh, I've been a colony one. Yes. See, I've never seen it. I, it's really. I, I watched it when it first came out. And I really enjoyed it. But if you'd asked me anything about it, I couldn't tell you anything apart from Billy Connolly's in it. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, and it is, it's a really good film. It's really enjoyed, really funny. Um, yeah, just 
good all-round amusing for an hour and a half. I mean, it's as I say, it's nothing massively original. Um, so the, it's the concept that everyone now has these zombie slaves, um, and they work for. So everyone's got servants, but they're all zombies. Um, right. And they've got a collar on, so that if they misbehave, basically you can electric shock them. Mm. Um, something goes wrong with his collar, um, and he becomes the kid's like friend. All um, oh, right, okay. Yeah, but then he gets taken away because they think he's misbehaved, so they take him to a correctional facility, and the kid goes to break him out. So, but it's, yeah, it's good fun. So that's oh. well worth a watch. Um, caught up with the second series uh, on BBC of Ghosts. Oh, um, yeah, any good? Yes. Better yeah. than the first season, I, I, I thought. thought so, yeah. It gets more interesting, I suppose, because now you know the characters, they can sort of mm. move on from that. Mm. Um, yeah, we just watched the last episode, didn't we, today? Yeah. And, yeah, that's, yeah, it's quite nice. Um, quite clever, bringing different things into it. And, yeah, I liked and it. It's really quite non-offensive. Obviously, like, the Horrible Histories cast. Yes. Oh, yeah, so, like, they yeah. are all absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, and the characters they all play are brilliant, yeah. obviously. Very so. different, but very, yeah, funny, each mm. of them, definitely. Yeah, it's good. Um, and finally, I went back, because I was con- I was convinced I knew this film inside out, and then when I watched it, I only actually remembered about 10 minutes of it, so I don't quite know what happened there. Uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman from 1943, I went back and rewatched again. Oh, cool. um, oh, and I enjoyed it so much. Oh, so much. It's such a great film. Um, so how, how do they set it up so that they meet? So, um, uh, Larry Talbot has come back to life ultimately after um, so, so he was buried with his ring and stuff. Some people prized his coffin open and re- released him again. Um, and he's now realised that he can't die because he's a werewolf. Um, but he decides that Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, who's now dead, if he can get hold of his diary and he can find out how Frankenstein created life, he can use that to kill himself ultimately to reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. So it's him. And then when he gets back to the old Frankenstein house, he finds the creature is buried in ice underneath the castle. So he digs the creature out, uh, and it's yeah, him and the creature kind of. Is together. That the one... Do they get on well? <laughs> they do in this one. It's the later one, I think, where they end up knocking seven seven shades out. Is it Ghost of Frankenstein? I think it's Ghost, but also I think it's when you start getting Dracula involved because he's a conniving shit. So he's always <laughs> the two of them against each other. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, is. That the one where Bella Lugosi is the monster? Yes. Yeah. 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 So the one, yeah, because the one before it, he's Igor. Yeah. And then Igor's brain gets put in the monster's body. Yeah. And that's the one they find at, yeah, that's the one they find at the start of this one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's universal, is it? And it's carrying yeah, on from yeah. the whole, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I am going to go back and rewatch Sun and Ghost of Frankenstein as well. Um, because oh. Son of Frankenstein is amazing. It's just the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, sorry, the uh, Young Frankenstein stuff. Yeah. In there, just now is forever. 
just the young Frankenstein version with the collar going open and stuff. I got to look normal. <laughs> They're playing darts. Yeah, the darts stuck in his arm. And just yeah. throwing wildly at the wall. It's just, oh, yeah. So much fun. So, yeah, I'm going to rewatch both of those as well in the week. Um, and I think that's everything. So, uh, as promised, finally, one of my favourite films. We finally got round to 1968's Curse of the Crimson Altar. Um, Adam and I have both just purchased this. It's just been re-released by Arrow. Um, I, don't, I in... don't think it's actually Arrow. I think they're just distributing. I don't oh, sorry. It's network, isn't it? I think it's... No, no. I think I, it's... We got it through Arrow. I'm not sure who it is, to be honest. I'm not sure if it's Network or... But it is, yeah, it's one of the... It's like a subsidiary label, so it's not... But it is available through Arrow's website, yeah. which is where we purchased it. So, yeah. Um, I, I confess, I watched this film about two days before I ordered the Blu-ray, so I didn't re-watch it, but I did watch the uh, documentary on it. Um <laughs> But Adam informs me that the print on the new one is absolutely spectacular. So it really is. It's surprising. You know, I've seen bigger, bigger or better regarded films than this look a lot worse, mm. and, and with the intent of of like you know restoration. Yeah. So yeah, this does. This has just come out lovely. I think it's just been very. The negative's just been so well looked after. And it does look, yeah, it looks really good. Quite a shocker, to be honest. I have to make that my Christmas Day viewing. Is it like how impressed we've got with how they do CGI animals now? (laughs) It's like, how did that suddenly get good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. The technology has just got so good that they can do it much better now. Maybe. Yeah. Um, So, Chris, on your first viewing of Curse of the Crimson Altar, what did you make of it? Well, like a fine brandy that is completely wasted on women, it's, <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And I, I just kept expecting Boris Karloff to appear. <laughs> and, and he did. So he met her before met her. Yes, oh, no, I must admit, I wasn't expecting that. So yep, a, a few surprises throughout. The thing is, it gets to me, though, is that there's the element where you've got that moment in there, and it is funny. But now there's a part where it's going, why hasn't anyone said to him, you know what, Professor Marsh? You and half look like Boris Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Just make the circle complete. Because then yeah. it implies, it also implies that in that universe, Boris Karloff exists, therefore Boris Karloff's films exist. Therefore, probably Christopher Lee's films exist. Yeah. Though at no point has anyone gone, you're a dead spit for that, Christopher Lee. <laughs> well, I wouldn't really know about that sort of thing, mm. Mr. Manning. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so was it, was it an enjoyable experience then, Chris? So it was, yeah. It's, it's a good, good entertaining watch. Um, yeah. Now, of course, I, I wasn't entirely sure. I hadn't remembered that this was that we were watching this because of Boris Karloff, but was it? Was that the... Or it was is literally because it... we just bought it on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could, could be. But I was trying to think, what else have we seen with him in it? And I couldn't remember if there was anything. Literally, we have... Owned... This is the first time you've seen him in, like, 
out of makeup. The only other time mm. we've covered Boris Karloff on this podcast is Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. Comedy of Terrors. Did we do Comedy of Terrors? No, no. We, did, we did Tales of Terror. Oh, yes, we did. Yes. Which I was thinking, oh, yeah, he's in that. And he's not because it's <laughs> Comedy of Terrors that he's in. Yeah. And that one, and weirdly enough, because that episode was like packed. Because when we did that, that was like the first Vincent Price, first Peter Laurie, mm. oh, first that... um, Basil Rathbone, first Roger Corman. So there was a lot yeah. in there. But yeah, so I mean, let's, when was Karloff's? Because yeah, because we've seen a few of the people involved. Mm. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, it's only Bride of Frankenstein, episode 22. Yeah. yeah. And wow. so this is so this is the first time you've in, experienced him as a vocal artist as well, then Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely splendid. His <laughs> face when uh, Manning keeps down in the brandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <is> just beautiful. <laughs> oh, he's horrified, isn't he? It's great, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. Worse than the woman having it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I, I, I have to say. I mean, yeah. So, what did you, th what did you think on Boris, uh, Chris? Uh, now well, yeah, seen him in a he's... in a different role. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he's, a, he's quite wonderful, really, isn't he? I'd be mm. quite happy to to watch more of him. Well, that's lucky because mm. he, he, a few of the films he's got lined more up. More to come. In the future, there is more to come. Well, I was. That was the thing is when I saw that, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the." Uh, we've only sort of watched one other Boris Karloff film, and it's the obvious one because it's him yeah. as Frankenstein, it's uh, as in as the monster, and um, yeah, we need to rectify that. We need to we need to have a lot of Boris on here. I think. Yes. What else would you That's say? Wonderful. Then? What are the top five Boris films? Mm. Just, oh, well, both of you on the spot. So, so Brian Frankenstein was was excellent. Mm. Yeah, we, we need to watch the Sorcerers, mm. which is like an yeah. OAP get out. I've not it's watched a, that in a long time. I've got it upstairs. Um, mm. Yeah, I have seen it, but not for mm. a very long time. And it's An, another Tygon as well. Yes, this is Tygon, isn't it? Mm. And um, but yeah, I mean, there's just there's just a lot. There's a lot of Boris. I mean, the ghoul, the mummy, yeah. the black cat. Oh, the mummy. Um, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, Comedy of Terrors, another one of my absolute faves. One of those films, doesn't matter what mood I'm in, put that on and I'll just sit and chuckle to myself for an hour and a half. The Raven. Dean did it as a drinking contest. Oh, yeah, where you nearly killed each other. Yeah. We were yeah. Trying, to, trying to match Vincent Price drink for drink, but literally every scene he's got his hip flask in. So. I, th I think, I th if I remember rightly, I think we were about 25 minutes in and you and him had done 16 shots. Because oh. yeah. that was the thing, it was like, I forget what it was, you had like schnapps and vodka or something, wasn't it? With, with straight vodka. Yep. But then after four or five of them in the first literally less than ten minutes, I went, This isn't gonna this isn't gonna fly, we can't do this. So I went to the shop and bought some I think it was like Smirnoff ice or something. So it looked like vodka, but it wasn't, it was five percent. <laughs> and we filled two thirds of them up with that 
and then mix them all around so we didn't know which one was which. And then we would take a random shot. So one would be proper vodka oh, and one would just be this kind of, you know, lemonade substance. Um, yeah, and I think Dean still bailed about an hour into it, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, and but with, <laughs> with reason, because, I mean, it's, yeah, comedy. You, maybe that's that's something, if we cover comedy of terrors, we'll, we'll have to note down for the drinking game quite how often you would be drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then warn people, if they're going to play the game, this is how many shots you need. Yeah, make sure you drink something sensible. Don't go for full shots of a spirit. because uh, it's, it's like going drink for drink, but not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good drinking game. So, so, so is Comedy of Terrors related to William Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors? In name only, essentially. Okay. Um, it's just a very good play on words for a comedy horror film. Yeah. And yeah, we're definitely covering that because I want more Peter Laurie in my life as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Vincent Price. And he just, he can't go wrong with it. It's those beautiful mm. matte painting. Sorry, I know we're getting off the subject. It's the matte painting backgrounds in that film that I just love. Yeah. When they're outside waiting for the for somebody to discover the body and stuff, and he's just sitting there slugging out of it. Oh, it's, oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, we, we're definitely going to get you some more Karloff. Mm. Because, well, we can't not. Yeah. And before episode two hundred, yeah, <laughs> which we, which we've decided is going to be uh, ant farm dick hole. <laughs> uh, but um, so yeah, we have got so obviously Christopher Lee. Um, we've covered, we've done him. Uh, we did Devil Rides Out, Funny Man, Deathline, Doctor Terror's House of Horror, and Sleepy Hollow. So we've We've had a fair bit, a bit of Mr. A, a fair bit of Mr. Lee, yeah, um, and mm. um, Michael Goff as well. So I was going to say, Michael House. Goff. He looked like someone that I, you know, he triggered something. I was thinking it's not John Hurt because you know that's he too does, old. But no, I there was a bit of a Claire thought it was John Hurt <laughs> when he came in, and similarly, I know I think Dean said it with Sleepy Hollow. Because mm. he really looks like John Hurt in that. Yeah, he does. But that's but, but again, it's later John Hurt, where it's like he was just mm. a crazy old uh, loony. And um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we've, I mean, we've covered him in three other films, so I was quite, I was quite shocked actually. Oh, mm. the other person in this, uh, Ron Pember, who we covered in Deathline, who's the oh, bloke who runs the garage. Yes, mm. yes, yeah, who's just a professional cockney, and also. Outland Revenue in Red Dwarf. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Where are them little funnies then? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, just gonna say, I'm surprised actually now we've sat down and, and actually spoke about who we've covered and who we haven't. Yeah, I don't think we've we've covered Barbara Steele on anything yet. We have. Yeah. Barbara yeah. Steele is, yeah. Um, has she done that much then? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Black Sabbath. Uh, um. No, Black Sunday. Black Sunday, yeah. Shivers, Pit and the Pendulum, Piranha. I've got to watch, I've got Lost River somewhere, and she's in that, because I didn't realise this, I'll be honest, I thought Barbara Steele had died. 
Um, but Barbara Steele, no, she retired basically. Yeah. She was like, no one offers me anything but horror films, and I'm. Aww. Yeah. So she just got bored and decided to go and do something else. I think. Um, but I really want to see the long hair of death, angel <laughs> for Satan, faceless monster, the she beast. Um, and uh, terror creatures from the grave. You can sort of see why she might have decided to retire. Yeah, but she was she was like um, certainly like she was huge. She did a lot of like a lot of her ones or a lot of her horror films were like Italian. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, obviously including uh, Black Sunday, but Black Sunday's like huge. Yeah, I think we need to cover Black Sunday at some point anyway because of. Um, because we haven't done any Mario Barber, have we? We haven't, and it's one of his that I actually really enjoy. I've got. To That's, say. I, I know. I know you're keen, and I. I think it's a brilliant film, and you get you get more Barbara Steele because I think that's. Yeah. I always think she plays a greater role in this. Mm. I mean, she is painted green, and has like huge ram's horns, mm. but still feels underused. Yes, you yeah. know, yeah. and it's like, but it's a blood. I mean, let's face it; it's the image that is the poster. Yeah. Mm. So that is the purpose of it. But yeah, I think and I can definitely appreciate how much effort and what a great job Jennifer did in her. Halloween. Thank you. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, I did want, I did want to check because I think we might have to post that because that was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I think, think anyone will recognise me. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> that was it. Well, people have just been going, why have you put Barbara Steele with our bad Barbara <laughs> But yeah, I mean, she's, but I mean, she is really, um, she's a really terrifically sort of good actress. Yeah. The weirdest thing, the weirdest thing was though, is I didn't realise when I was going through, because obviously like Black Sunday, she has a dual role in it. Mm-hmm. And then it looks like most of the other ones she did in Italy, it's a dual role again. Oh, really? So I think she did end up getting curiously typecast into descendants of witches, essentially. <laughs> and um, yeah, which is, a, it, I suppose, is a bit niche. And maybe that's why she sort of decided. But, I mean, she's in like, she's in uh, Eight and a Half and stuff like that. So she, you know, she did some sort of. Uh, big you know she did some other stuff outside of horror but i mean mm. that's and i think she comes she sort of comes out of retirement to appear in stuff but i don't think she's just uh, maybe you know it just doesn't interest her that much so it's not that often yeah but um but i'm pleased to see she's still with us as i say i assume uh, for some reason I'd, i i know she hadn't done much after the 70s but i did assume she died for some reason so Ah, so I knew she was still with us or had been uh, about five, six years ago because she was in Mark Gatiss's History of Horror. Oh, oh yes, she was. Yeah. Her, in, her in her house. Um, yeah, and her being a lot more like her characters than I'd realised, perhaps. Um, yeah. She and was green. <laughs> <laughs> no, she just had a load of holes in her face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was very like very theatrical and very oh yes, yeah, she seemed amazing. She seemed like a, yeah, someone you could definitely have a, a, a you know someone you'd like to spend a few hours you know badgering about her time in the industry and she, stuff. She feels like she feels like one of those proper like a bit like it, but in a totally different way. But someone like Fenella Fielding, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just eccentric. Yeah. Sort of actresses who've just had a proper, like, long career and an interesting time. Yeah. But Because um, I think she was also on Clive Barker's AZ of Horror. She had, like, her own entry on that. Um, but I remember that one of the main one of the main contributors, there was like Joe Dante on there and stuff like that, but one of the main contributors was a drag artist. And it was like, yeah, I can totally see, I can totally see why Barbara Steele would appeal to a drag artist. (coughs) Again, it's that sort of haughty theatricality. Yeah. Mingled with menace and icy (laughs) reproof. Yeah. And, and obviously, um, Eve, uh, like the the niece, that's Virginia Weatherall, who's in mm. Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde, Demons in the Mind. Um, she's uh, I've never seen. She's in the Jack Palance version of Dracula as Dracula's wife, apparently. Okay. Um, Didn't know Dracula got married ever, but exactly. Oh, yeah. she was, and she was in um, she was in the first ever Dalek story. Like the first ever Doctor Who Dalek story. Wow! Ooh. And she's and she's in a Clockwork Orange. She is the woman who comes out in her pants on stage, and Alex can't grab her knockers. Yeah. Uh, as then uh, homaged in The Simpsons, in the one where Lisa trains Bart so that he can't do things, and it's him reaching for two cupcakes <laughs> no. exactly in, the, in, the, in a mirror of the Clockwork Don't Orange that. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's the 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 only person in this who I was sort of not unaware of, but um, the policeman. Hmm. Do you know who that is, Lee? I'm trying to think, I definitely know him from something. Well, he is Lord Cheapside. Oh, sorry, the Duke of Cheapside in Blackadder the Third. Never, sir. A man's soft lips oh. are his own private kingdom, and I can protect him with my life. <laughs> mm. Nice. And he's, and it turns out he's in like he's in the hammer quite a mess in the pit and stuff like that. But yeah, that is that is what he will always be for me is the Duke of Cheapside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this I love this film, but it is so entirely sixties. Um, so it's got that kind of gothic horror edge to it, which I like. Mm. But yeah, like all the people at the party and Lots all the running around half naked women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People smoking yeah. at long cigarette holders and see. Weirdly women. enough, there was a point where I'm sitting. I'm sitting there watching the 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 bit where he goes into the hotel and there's the the boob painting party and people with champagne <laughs> and everything else like that. I'm sitting there going. I've never been invited to those sort of parties. Uh, and then it cuts the bloke in the roll neck, like sitting absolutely wrecked on a sofa, like <laughs> just barely able to focus. And I was like, oh no, I probably have actually. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. So, um, so we thought that was Baz at the time. We were like, yep, yeah, same sort of party. <laughs> There's always one person on the floor passed out. But, but so yeah, no boob painting ever at parties. No, we missed that. We were born too late, people. Yeah. We were born in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> See, that was the thing as well, is because I know I know he's one of your favourites, Lee, but I was like, because I always kind of forget that modern aspect to it. I yeah. think because it's in because it's mostly in the house, and the house is 
mm. like very gothic and very old looking. And obviously the witch stuff is possibly visions from the past, etc. Um whereas yeah, so I always forget that there's like the modern half of it. Mm. And I was like, you know, it's a surprise that Lila, because it's got that grot I mean that petrol garage that he stops off at, that is very Britain. Yes. I also I also love the Britishness or sort of like the small village Britishness of you go to the police station just fucking wander around and then he comes out and he braces saying, oh, sorry, sir, we're not open yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... Sort of, Half-shaved yeah. mug of tea, just like... Yeah. <laughs> and I did, yeah, I just sort of... Uh, and also, uh, what was the other thing? Pyjamas that look like karate suits. Yeah. That was, that, that, that was a very Stylish. sort of... That was very sort of late 60s, early 70s look. Mm. May have been on eBay looking for them recently. <gasps> No, it's not a good look. <laughs> see, see you. And also, the there was a couple of moments though, in t- terms of costumes. Christopher Lee's coat when they're out in the graveyard. Yeah, I think that's just Christopher Lee's coat, and it was cold. <laughs> there's no, there's no menace to it. It's it's like the most plain anorak I've ever seen anyone in. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't add to an air of menace at all. <laughs> If you're being confronted by a man in essentially a wax jacket. <laughs> um, and also, health and safety. Fuck me. They nearly set fire to Boris Karloff. Oh, the they fireworks. nearly take out the leads. Yeah, the yeah. I must admit, fight. that was, there was a few spidey sense health and safety triggers. I was getting this, like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you watch the documentary, Adam, on. That's on the DVD on the Blu-ray. No, no, I didn't. I was um, I was going to, and then uh, well, Claire had already gone to bed at that point, so I thought well, I'd probably <laughs> turn it in myself. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So basically, they said the guy who the director of the film um, got on real really well with everyone. And he was very professional and everything. When it got to the, they they shot that was the very last scene they shot. Yeah, and he just spent the whole time going, didn't get nearer than that. You definitely shoot them nearer than that, and yeah, just almost killed absolutely everything. Yeah, I say almost killed. He, they, uh, I, I was right. I'd heard it somewhere. I couldn't remember where. Um, but yeah, this film is basically supposed to be the film that finished off Boris Karloff. Um, yeah, he was so doing the night shoots. Yeah, he was already old and quite unwell. Um, well, that's yeah. why he's, I mean, he's 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 not in a wheelchair as a character point. He's okay. in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah, that was that was he mm. was crippled with arthritis at that point. Mm. So yeah. they could only they could they could only have him in scenes. They could stand him, have him standing, but they basically somebody had to stand him up. He could mm. stay there for a very short period to get a shot. Mm. So I'm saying at the end, the shot where you see oh, him shoots. fire the gun. Yes, uh, he was going to be sitting down, and he said. Like I can't. You're gonna to have to have me standing up because it looks ridiculous. Mm. Shoot mm. someone from a wheelchair. I don't quite get why he can, felt that yeah. way, but he did. Um, but yeah, that was what they did. So they basically had to stand him up, lean him against the door frame. Um, and it does look like that. Very. You much. can see. You can yeah. see that he is leaning because that because in a weird way that makes it look odder than if he'd have shot him from the wheelchair. Because mm. at that point, there's there's an element where you're sort of like, has he just had a few? Yeah, because yeah. he's leaning with the gun. It feels a bit sort of, hey, 
yeah. So he's but he's, he's very not apparently the the scene when uh, Robert Manning goes to see him uh, and you, you actually see uh, Boris Karloff and he gets up gets up and walks over to that yes. table. Apparently there was there was quite a lot of kind of prep to do that, mm. um, and apparently they did the first shot and then realised that the boom operator had allowed the mic to drop into the oh, oh shit oh, okay. so they had to redo it um but yeah boris karloff apparently went back and redid it and then was like right i need to be absolutely certain that he's not getting in trouble for this he was like no matter what happens that might that boom oh. operator cannot like getting shit for the fact we had to reshoot the scene it's really not that big and, oh he's just he sounds <laughs> he was a proper gentleman. Mm. And similarly, it's, it's the same thing I hear, like, because I mean, obviously, from the, they're from the same era, but like with uh, James Whale, who directed, yeah, like the first few Frankensteins. And um, yeah, no, Boris Karloff just sounds like a, a real lovely, gentle man, mm. you know, and sort of. Yeah, again, one of those things where it's the thing of someone gets this typecast reputation as this master of the sinister, mm. and they're lovely. Yeah, you know, not even it's you know it's not it's not even just sort of like oh well you know always that thing where it's like well they've played a lot of murderers but they're all right they're not going to fucking murder someone are they? They <laughs> use it as publicity, you dickhead. But, you know, when it's sort of, yeah. Mind you, I think the interesting thing with this is, again, and I don't know whether it's because I haven't watched it for a long time or whatever like that, I, I'd forgotten that essentially Karloff, uh, Karloff is, is a good guy. Yeah. Because they obviously make him just quite sinister. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's Boris Karloff, so it's already doing its own work, as it were. <laughs> so it sort of throws you off the scent a bit, but I assumed he was in on it. because. But also you've got Christopher Lee being really nice, but Christopher Lee mm. being really nice is, what are you after? Yeah. <laughs> because as soon as he's being nice, you're like, right, you're up to something. There is something. Because you're Christopher Lee. When Christopher Lee is being yeah. amiable, because he can't really do it, you know, he's a... Uh, oh, well, um, Terribly sorry, I couldn't help you there, Mr. Manning. And yeah. um, I'm still going to say this quite sternly, as if I'm telling you off for a minor infraction in the uh, schoolyard. Um, but no, I've never seen your brother here before. And it's... so. But I wonder if that was the sort of thing where they're like, well, we'll, we'll... <laughs> Christopher Lee will be ultra helpful. Boris Karloff will say a lot of meaningful things <laughs> and look dodgy. And then at the end of it, oh, it was the other way around. It's like, no, because even because the one time I can think of Christopher Lee playing a good guy, which is, um, oh, bollocks, what's it called? Devil Rides Out. Yeah. He's still a bastard. Yes. He's not a nice man in that. He is the hero. But he isn't, you know, he is just, well, you don't want to do that, Rex. And I'm afraid I had to punch you out. <laughs> and out of that, when you were messing around with black magic. And he's just very... You know, he's not he's not a nice man. No. <laughs> so as soon as he's being helpful and being sort of like, oh, my daughter and my um, niece and her ridiculous parties and everything else like that, it's like, <laughs> right, what is going on? <laughs> what are you up to? So, but I do, I think that they, um, 
because it is because it's based on dreams in the witch house, isn't it? It is, but, but it's so very loosely. heavily adapted. Yeah, it's which, which is which is right. It's the only way you can do these things. Yeah, you know, you have to because a lot of much like the Poe adaptions, it's kind of like you know, there's essentially it's like a mood piece or something like that. Yeah, as written. So you don't actually you have to put some more substance in there. Yeah, but I think it becomes its own nicely unique thing. Um, I, I and like I, I say, I've watched it for years and had no idea that it was dreams in the witch house because <laughs> it's so entirely yeah. different story. Well, that was that was my surprise in a weird way. I was like, oh yeah, I can see it, but. You know, there is a difference. And funnily enough, that was one thing I was considering I was going to watch in the week is I was going to watch the Stuart Gordon Dreams in the Witch House, the one from uh, the Masters of Horror series. Oh, I haven't um, seen it. That is, I mean, it's good. They, he still has set it in um, the present day. Like mm. he's, he made it contemporary as he, always, as he usually does. But it, he's definitely worth, it's definitely worth a watch because it's only like 50 minutes. Yeah. So you just get what you want from Dreams in the Witch House, which is the story. You don't yeah. have to build in loads of other crap or whatever like that. It just works really well. And it has got a really good rap with a human face in it. Okay. Right. He's very yeah. good. He's very good. You you watch it and until he speaks, you'll think it's Michael Smiley, but it's not Michael Smiley. It just looks <laughs> like Michael Smiley. Um, and uh, the thing that always got me about it with this as well. So you've got Boris Karloff, Christopher Lee, Barbara Steele, Michael Goff, main character, never heard of him. Oh, that guy, yeah. I, to... I mean, don't get me wrong, he's very good, mm. but it's, it's a film full of stars and the main character is somebody I've never seen in anything else, I don't think. He, he was a big telly star in the 60s. Hmm. So, but but I mean, again, he didn't, he wasn't any, like, he didn't have a, he was in stuff. He never had the lead role in a series or something like yeah. that. But he was, he was in, um, he was Marco Polo in Doctor Who, which was like, a, again, a very early one. Mm. And that was like about seven episodes. So there was like about seven weeks where he was the main, because it was a weirder time because the, of, they were still working out how they wrote it. It was like the fourth story they ever showed. Yeah, and they decided they were good. originally the concept was they were going to do historical stuff as well as sci-fi, mm. and like straight historical stuff, not aliens in medieval times or something, but just to it was like an educational thing. Yeah. And so there was like this sort of seven-week epic of them following the journey of Marco Polo, and he essentially becomes the lead character because it's the 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 crew are kind of just watching what goes on. Because again, that was the that was the reason they stopped doing them is because you could do something historical, but they couldn't actually get involved because that was historically inaccurate. So it doesn't really work as an educational thing, if you like. Yeah. You know, I mean, they within a year they couldn't give a fuck because <laughs> it was like within a year the Daleks calls the Mary Celeste. Mm. So you know, it's um, you know they 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 backed away very quickly. But he's in <laughs> he's in the original Quite Mass and the Pit, uh, the Prisoner, the Avengers, uh, Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, those sort of things. Um, and um, he's he's also in, uh, and I can't I can't place him in it to be honest with you, but I can only remember Richard Attenborough in this. 
Uh, he's in a film called Seance on a Wet Afternoon, which is just genuinely a great film. I just rewatched that about a month. Oh, rewatched. I watched it for the first time about a month ago. What do you think? It's, it's very good. Isn't it? isn't it? It's very good. Yeah, very yeah. dark. Mm. Um, but, but no, yeah. I, lo I love that. I think that's a that was for some reason I kept extending the title whenever I kept describing it to people, so no one could see it for years because I was going, "Oh, it's a uh, it's a, a bl black seance on a rainy Sunday afternoon." Or <laughs> so I don't. But yeah, so he's so he's in yeah he's on seance on a wet afternoon, and um, which again is just a a very good film. But yeah, so he was he was sort of big in terms of he was probably like a recognisable face, but he wasn't yeah. really. Um, you know, he wasn't a big movie star, certainly. Mm. So, and like you say, it is a bit weird. And also, it's the unfortunate... I mean, there is the there is an unfortunate level of sort of James Bondiness about sort of like, come here and give us a kiss, love. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, like his secretary sitting on his knee and he gives her a kiss and... Yeah, and he's, uh, he's, he's very forced kissing of uh, Virginia Weatherall as well. Yeah. When she keeps making it very clear that she isn't interested and he still keeps trying to kiss her every night when they part ways in the hallway. Yeah. It's a bit, it's, it's uh, a bit 70s. Uh, also, at that point, you do have to ask, so how concerned are you about your brother? Mm. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, I've got a dead brother, but I'm into the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, because it's like, oh, this man, and mind that, but also, oh, this man's extended his hospitality to me. Yeah, I'll try and knob his knees. <laughs> you know, it's just not very polite, is it? I think, because, I mean, certainly if I went to a hotel somewhere and that party was going on, I wouldn't be sitting there grinning and having <laughs> a drink. I'd be sitting there going, this is going to be a fucking nightmare. How am I going to get to any sleep tonight with these fucking assholes doing all this? Jesus. So, yeah. Yeah. Luckily, luckily, when we stayed at the house where this is shot, there was not a party like that going oh, you on. You did, you did. I was, I was trying to remember because I know obviously you've done, um, uh, where they did, yeah, where they did Rocky Horror. Yeah. Uh, but so you've stayed at Grimsdyke as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. right. Cool. Uh, it's fantastic. So we were there last uh, year before last, I think, mm -hmm. um, in the run up to I think it was like the 20th of December. We stayed there one night overnight. Um, and so the, the, the you know, the opening sequence is that big. It's like big pink marble statue mm. of Pan. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> in the main hall in Grimdike. Um, <clears throat> that's a fireplace that goes floor to ceiling, and the ceiling is two stories high. It's a huge mm -hmm. room, Bloody and that hell. fireplace is carved out of solid marble, and it's like pink marble. So um, is that is that kind of where you think they get the Crimson Altar title from? What in a weird it, way? No, but yeah, it, it should be, but it isn't. It is just the fact that that small altar that's upstairs that we finally see Eve Morley laying on. Um, yeah. yeah, and where they do have the sacrificed virgin on, yeah, is kind of a strange shade of red, but it's in no way integral to the story. What's yeah, <laughs> not at all. I mean, it might as well have been called that's that that's a short apron for a man that size. <laughs> that would, yeah, see, that'd be more, yeah, more poignant. That, I think that that bit that made me that really made me laugh though. I love I love Carlos' bit with that though, isn't it? And Herm the Hunter, yes. Mm. And 
that that was just great because I do I think I think overall I think it is just a it, it's a good film with some great fucking performances. Yeah, totally. Um, and I actually uh, Michael Goff's great in it. Yeah, he's very yeah. sort of low key, but he is really. Yeah, he he's really great in it. He is. But, um, sorry, man. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say. So when we uh, when we stayed there overnight, and we phoned up to make our reservation, I did. Actually, it was one of those things. I was almost on the verge of doing it, and I thought, no, um, I was gonna book the name in the room, Dennis Vosper. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, Do you know what? It's one of those things that's gonna make me laugh now, and then I'm gonna get there on the day, and they're gonna want a credit card. <laughs> And they're going to be like, well, if that's not your name, why did you give that? And then you feel like a prick having to explain. Have you not seen? It? And they're like, no. Mm. Uh, but, but actually, when we got there, they had a book. We went into the information thing. Yeah. Um, and they had a book and it had photographs from all the films and listed them oh, all cool. in there. Uh, so they do kind of. Uh, but, sorry, that's what I was saying earlier. So the big fireplace in the main room, uh, they had a private function in there. <clears throat> So when we went to the information and said, look, you know, the big fireplace is that. And they said, oh, actually, it's at the it's at the end of the hallway. She said, so um, it's in the main room, but we, we're having a party in there. And she looked at her watch and went, caterers aren't going to be here for another half an hour. If you go up, you can get in there quickly. So we went in and had a wander around and saw oh, it. All. Um, and the room that we stayed in, when you see, uh, whenever you see them two going to bed at night and they go up that, up a set of stairs and then along mm. like a corridor and round a bend, that yeah. doorway that they then go through, there are three rooms further down there and the room that we stayed in was one of those. So that oh, walk no. that they do when they go to bed was the walk that we did that night when we were, oh, that's we, cool. when we were going to bed. Um, but there was a massive Christmas tree in the centre where the, the stairway is. But, oh, um, wow. Yeah, it was really cool. And the, the, the room that's being used as Christopher Lee's study where you keep st seeing him standing against that mm. big stone fireplace. Yeah. That's in the breakfast hall downstairs. So when we went down for breakfast the next day, I suddenly noticed like the little corniche and I was oh mm. God. It's... Yeah, so got our photographs taken in there as well by waitresses confused as to why we were suddenly massively excited about a fireplace in the middle of the dining hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that's part of the fun. I was quite surprised actually because I had a look that um, they've because they still use it as a place now. It's been used in Little Britain. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, EastEnders, Futtock's End. You know the Roddy Barker film. That's filmed oh, yeah. there. Cry of the Banshee. Which didn't you say you watched that recently? I did, and it, it's like that is all shot in Grimsdyke. Mm. Uh, it's all the hallways, all the same room. As I say they use the big room with that massive fireplace in it. There's a few scenes in there that are quite long, so you get a really good view of it all. Um, yeah, while people are being molested and viciously poked for no real reason. Because it's a Tygon movie, so of course it's over yeah. night. Because also they did, because um, they also did the Blood Beast Terror, which is there. Yes, same director. Have you ever seen the Blood Beast Terror? No, because the title is terrible. But the whole thing's on YouTube in HD, so I think I'm going to watch it tonight when we finish. Definitely watch it. Pete Cushing um, and Wanda Ventham, uh, a.k.a. Benedict Cumberbatch's mum. Oh, is it? 
yeah, who actually played Sherlock's mum in Sherlock. <laughs> And Rodney's mother-in-law in Only Fools and Horses. Um, but uh, she, uh, yeah, basically, bit of spoiler alert, she's basically a were-giant moth. And, wow. And you've also got, uh, there's an actor called Kevin Stoney, who is brilliant. He plays uh, the butler in it. Mm. And him arguing with a fucking vulture is one of my favourite things <laughs> I've ever seen. Because the vulture... Is not a, is is an unhappy vulture that they've got in, and uh, it's meant to be like that. He's just feeding it, and he's meant to not have a good relationship with it. But the thing really is being an arsehole. It's <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's fun in that sense. I think you've just sealed the deal with Lee tonight. Oh, yeah, definitely watching that tonight <laughs> when it is finished. Well, uh, so like you say, we mentioned mentioned it's Tygon, which is the so you've got Hammer with the big ones, mm. uh, like and uh, then Amicus, who do a lot of the anthology ones we watched, and the Beast Must Die, were yeah. kind of kind of the next rival to Hammer, and then Tygon were the next rival after that, um, and you've also got a company called Tyburn. Uh, and I've and I only found out this week. There's a book. Uh, someone wrote a book about Tygon Films, mm. and in the sort of glossary or whatever like that, just accidentally listed loads of films that aren't made by Tygon. <laughs> so because a lot it's... of people think they 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 appear to have made more films oh. than they have. But yeah, um, but they've done. Uh, they did Witchfinder General, which is. Um, Vincent Price, one of Vincent Price's best, mm. best films, certainly best one of his best performances. It's really good, and it's based on the actual story of uh, Matthew Hopkins, the the witch finder that we had over here. And, mm. and I mean that's that's a that's a brilliant film. And they also did uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, which again I would like to cover because Blood on Satan's Claw is the weirdest thing in the world where. Um, it started off as an anthology movie and then they just thought, fuck it, should we just put it all together? <laughs> so it's actually kind of three stories, but they all relate to each other rather than they would have been like someone telling with a wraparound mm -hmm. piece. You know, I've never seen Blood on Satan's Claw. Blood on Satan's Claw, right. Two reasons to see Blood on Satan's Claw. One, it is a genuine classic of folk horror. Yeah. Uh, actually, three reasons. Uh, the soundtrack is fucking amazing. It's like the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, yes. Three, three reasons. <laughs> Blood on Satan's Claw. Is it the, and one of the best is that if you can get hold of it, um, the, the, I think it's on, I think it's on the Blu-ray and I, it possibly was in the box set. I'm not sure. Um, the League of Gentlemen did a commentary for it. Oh, and, nice. And it's fucking hilarious, <laughs> um, and just degenerates down into like them talking about like one of uh, Jeremy Dyson saying that uh, his wife reckoned she'd seen someone, some woman in a full business suit next to a tree having a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a but it's again like I say a genuine bit of. Genuine bit of folk horror, genuinely weird, 
Mm. And actually, there's a radio, like an audio adaption of it by Bafflegab, the ones who did the Hellbound Heart that I've mentioned yeah. on here before. Yeah. And they did an MR James one. Um, but yeah, they did Blood on Satan's Claw and both uh, Reese Shearsmith and Mark Gatiss are in it. Okay. And, um, but yeah, that is, it's a, that is a really great film. That's definitely one that we need to put on the list. Yeah. Uh, they also did The Sorcerers, which we mentioned earlier, which is another yeah. Boris Karloff film. Like I say, basically a geriatric version of Get Out. Um, yeah. Then The Beast in the Cellar, in which Beryl Reed and her sister are keeping their cannibal brother in the cellar. Um, mm-hmm. Do watch uh, Creeping Flesh, you know, but but in the main, Tygon, they sort of branched out and did a few other things, but they were kind of like the third... The, the third in line of like horror producing film companies in the sort of 50s, 60s. Yeah. Um, mm. And again, I, I think they, they ended up with a bit of a rep of they tended to have slightly grittier or nastier films, as it were. Yeah. Like, which, which Finder General is, because it's based on real life, is, you know, is nasty. Yeah. Mm. Because what they were doing was fucking horrible. So, but it's still. Still, definitely worth a watch. I say, yeah, yeah. And then we cry of the banshee as well. Just it's got that same kind of, sort of sadist through it, sadism. Yeah. yeah. You said which finder general was Vincent Price. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So that is that a bit of an unusual role for him then? Because it, it's it's a weird one, but fuck me, does he 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 takes it? He mm, really okay. does. Because I think also again, a lot of people tend to expect. Vincent Price that it'll be sort of campy or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas that he is just I mean he, he I mean he's a brilliant actor, but it's one of those ones where it's like, oh yeah, you are a fucking brilliant actor, aren't you? Yeah. Much like Karloff sort of does that that sort of thing where you just you almost forget that it's like like as I say, like the little bits with the whis with the whiskey the brandy drinking. Yeah. And things like that. You know, he is a genuinely funny and mm. versatile actor. They're all not just sort of, you know, camp horror stars, as it were. Yeah. Now, I have a bit of a, a... It's not an ask welcome to horror. It was just something that cropped up. And I was like, shit, I've never realised that. But Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee have four roles in common. Four roles in common? Yeah. They have portrayed the same character... Uh, four times. <laughs> There's a very obvious one. Yeah, yeah. And actually, almost as obvious one. So, ah, right. I think I've got two. Yeah, okay. So, what two have you got, Lee? So, I reckon Frankenstein and the Mummy. Yeah. Yeah, they both played the monster. They've both played the mummy. Yeah. So, or. Mm. or I think it's called Karis in the. Uh, is it, I think it's in the Hammer one. It might be the Universal one as well. I'm not sure, but they have also played Fu Manchu, which, uh-huh. which again is a worrying factor when you can p- point at two Caucasian men and say they've played Fu Manchu. <laughs> I have watched um, two Fu Manchu Christopher Lee films. Yeah, yeah, and Rasputin. I did not know that Boris Karloff had played Rasputin. Nor did I. But yeah. So it's sort of, yeah, that was quite a weird one where I was like, 
holy shit, there is a lot of crossover. Yeah. You know, they, they sort of... And they work really well together. Yeah. But then, you know, you'd have to be shit to not work well with either of them, I think. It's funny because they said, uh, apparently, again, now, not to spoil the documentary for you because I know you haven't seen it yet, um, but the extra on the Blu-ray. Um, yeah, apparently on set, they couldn't have been more completely different. Um, oh, I can imagine that. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently Christopher Lee was a bit of a nightmare and didn't like like uh, Boris Karloff because um, Mark Eden and Virginia Weatherall. This these were obviously um, early roles. For, I think it might have been mm. her first film. I think and it's that, Virginia Weatherall's first film. Yeah. So she was very nervous and wanted to go over uh, scenes before they were shot, and Boris Karloff was like, "Yeah." When it, as long as you like whatever you want to do, I'm more than happy. Yeah, Christopher Lee was like, "No, I do it for the camera, and that's it." Wouldn't run through lines with her. Wouldn't wouldn't do anything. Oh, so, he's such a, a grumpy drunk. Gus. Yeah, they said oh. as soon as the camera turned on, he was perfect. But yeah, they said yeah. in advance, they said, "Oh, can we, you know, can we just run through this scene with the three of them?" No, and they would sit there and do the lines, and he would literally sit and read his paper and completely ignore them. What a prick. I'm sorry. I I love Christopher Lee, but Christ almighty, mate. Have a day off. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but also he's, he's competing with Tom Cruise for me. <laughs> <laughs> but he hasn't he he hasn't he hasn't joined an offensive religion. Let's just say not that. yet. And no. probably won't. <laughs> the other the other thing that I was I think every time I watch this. I obviously go, oh, and then utterly forget about it. Um, but the two guys who wrote it, um, Mervyn Hazen and L- Henry Lincoln, um, they wrote some. They wrote for Doctor Who and created. There's a story called The Abominable Snowmen, hmm. in which the great intelligence, a disembodied thing from another reality that might be Narlotep from. Uh, the Lovecraft mythology, if you believe later books and bullshits and everything else like that. But but yeah, it uses Robot Yeti to lay siege to a um, a monastery. And then, uh, and then they did a, a sequel to that where the Robot Yeti were roaming the London underground. <laughs> and, but it also was the first story that introduced the character of Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart who goes on to be Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart is like one of the one of the sort of biggest characters in Doctor Who. He's oh. like, because he was he appeared with like most of the Doctors over the years and everything else like that. And he was like, probably like the most recurring character in Doctor Who who isn't like a villain or a monster or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and they still retain the rights to that because apparently... Apparently, they still have to get credited every time, or had to get credited every time he appeared. Nice. Um, and they also, they also, un- under an assumed name, wrote another story called The Dominators. And uh, I'd use an assumed name because it's shit. Um, <laughs> it really is dreadful. Um, but um, but that, that, but they only worked together for a brief time uh, for that. And I think they did some other, a few other bits of telly, and then they and they wrote this mm. as well. But afterwards, Henry Lincoln went on to co-write The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, which is um, the book that basically the whole 
premise of of Da Vinci Code. Uh, da Vinci Code comes from yeah, and it's the thing about the Holy Grail is actually Christ's bloodline descended from him and Mary Magdalene, and ended mm-hmm. up into marrying into French aristocracy. Um, but actually, and he, this I thought was quite sweet, really, is because there's three guys wrote it. So it's Henry Lincoln, Michael Bajan, and uh, Richard Lee. Hmm. Um, when Da Vinci Code came out and was very successful, uh, Bajan and Lee tried to sue Dan Brown, even though it was like, your book's been out for ages. Yeah. It came out in 82. And, <laughs> you know, has since sort of fallen into general conspiracy mm. law yeah as it were but also i thought it was quite sweet henry lincoln like didn't wasn't part of the case <laughs> and he got chucked out anyway but he was he wasn't part of the case because he said well when we wrote the book it wasn't that original <laughs> so <laughs> so best not to call him if you are trying to form a lawsuit because i think he might have scuttled their fucking chances with that comment <laughs> and actually henry lincoln uh uh mervyn uh Hazeman, uh, died, I think, in the early 2000s. Mm. And uh, Henry Lincoln is now the sole surviving scriptwriter of 60s Doctor Who. Ah. But, um, but yeah, they, 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 had quite a, they had quite an impact on that. And it's weird because, like I say, I obviously see it in the opening credits every time, go, oh, and then utterly forget that. So, <laughs> the the, um, it just draws everything away. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah. I mean, it, this reminds me a lot of the um, the Roger Corman movies, like we were saying, mm-hmm. like just that, the really over the top colours and yeah. that kind of kaleidoscope and all that kind of stuff. It totally feels like a, like a Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was distributed through AIP, who obviously did those. So it has yeah. it has that sort of connection. You could, I kind of, and I can feel that, yeah, sort of sense. And and obviously the presence of Boris Karloff as well. Yeah. But I think that's something that's really come clear on the Blu-ray to me is just how good the direct, like the visuals of this are, mm. because those kaleidoscopic stuff and like the the really like heavy color palettes and stuff like that on crapper prints of this can look a bit just look like a bad transfer or whatever like that whereas you can see you can see on this just how much of it is just pure psychedelia yeah you know and it's very good for it i think another thing that it also kind of reminds me of because i'd like to sort of almost make a uh sort of league of extraordinary gentlemen 70s horror connection sort of thing um but it does it reminds me a bit of psychomania as well but i think that's you know that's that's who i imagine the uh party of pricks are (laughs) that they go off to then be the bikers uh, or sort of like to know the bikers from uh psychomania yeah which again is one we'll cover for you chris in which zombie bikers from beyond the grave return to terrorize june brown in a laundromat Mm -hmm. In <laughs> 70s Britain, but with the bollocks of a soundtrack. <laughs> so, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> it is an interesting movie. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, as I said before, I know we covered this on the Welcome to Everyone episode, and I, I can't <laughs> pin down specifically what it is I like so much about this 
film. I just absolutely good all round combination of everything. It, it gives you a lot of what you want. I think, yeah. from a, from a from a horror movie is if if it's if that is your bag, mm. this film really hits it. I think. The funny thing is, which hasn't actually dawned on me until now, but now I think about it, I've never really made a connection. You know, I've said before about how I always feel cheated if it looks like it's a, a supernatural thing and then it turns out it isn't, and that always makes me feel cheated and turns me against it. But that's mm -hmm. what this film does. Mm. Because there's the whole, yeah, is he going into another dimension in his dreams and is the... Is the whole witch thing really playing out on another time? And he's being drawn in. And it, no, he's he's got this lamp and he hypnotises you. But for some reason, because the film's so incredible, it doesn't feel like a cheat for me. And I'm absolutely happy to go. Mind you, that being said, he does turn into Lavinia Morley at the end during the fire. So, mm. oh, there's. I think there's definitely the elements there uh, because it's even the fact that he does appear to be, you know, even even if he's drugging him. It's a bit extreme when you're sort of sitting there and there's like, um, if you're visualising not only Christopher Lee as Barbara Steele, <laughs> yeah. but also your dead brother, um, Herman Hunter in his lovely outfit, the, <laughs> the, the whip woman with things on her knockers, yeah. um, the goat. Um, that the is goat. So Tygon, that yeah. Right, so we've got a witch, and he's got to write in a book. But what yeah. we're also going to have is boobs everywhere for no yeah. reason whatsoever, other than we we can. So we can. I also, I also, I love the acute self awareness of Manning when he's describing his dreams uh, to Virginia Weatherall. Leaves out. Oh yeah, there were lots of boobs and a really muscly bloke in leather pants. <laughs> Leaves that well out. Yeah. You know, he's, he he knows he knows how far he wants to sort of how far he wants someone's insight into his psyche. <laughs> you know, so if this is a dream, you know. <laughs> but yeah, all but, in yeah. all, and I just think I think is probably I'm sure I must have seen this. As a Friday night mm. horror repeat, I'm sorry. and that is exactly why I love it because it is a it's Friday. What would I want to? What do I want to watch? Yeah, I'm going to stick that on. That's entertaining. Mm -hmm. I say that's why I've almost watched the DVD to death and had to upgrade to the Blu-ray just just before it finally came. My copy of this actually on DVD, I bought plays on both sides, doesn't it? You've uh, worn it <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually bought this before it was out on Blu-ray, or it was uh, when it was on DVD, long before it was on Blu-ray. But it was really hard to get hold of, and I ended up getting hold of a German print of it because it was e cheaper yeah. and easier to buy it in Germany with a German cover and have it shipped over and change the language on it. Um, yeah, because it's just it's just it, this film has never got the the respect it deserves, in my opinion. Um, and Jennifer said that as well when we, when she was doing a bit of research on it earlier and just looking it up on Google. Yeah, and loads of people just talking shit about this film. They're like, oh, yeah, I really enjoy it. But let's be honest, it's rubbish film. And I was like, no, it isn't. What, why is it? But, yeah, how, how is enjoyable also, uh, rubbish? 
I don't know. That is something I can't. I can understand the concept of so bad it's good, but it's not that. This doesn't yeah, have no. that. That's a different. You know, it's just a proper enjoyable film. It's not. You know. I think I think that's the thing as well. Maybe it's because we we treat it in the way that the film almost turned out. It's like right, we've got no expectations. You know, yeah. this is what you give you, and it's like fucking hell, that's good. You know, I do creepy because I've been telling Chris for the last three years this is one of the best films ever. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy yeah, it. But, but uh, you know, I always take that with a. It's not. It's not definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> Most true. of the time, that's true. <laughs> um, so if if you dressed up as a, as one of the assistants when Jennifer dressed up as Lavinia, that would have convinced me straight off. I very very nearly. Did. <laughs> I've, I've got uh, a. A jacket, it's like a suit how, jacket. That's just how like, to put anyone off ever watching it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I was originally gonna slick my hair back and cut <laughs> my beard off and just keep the moustache just for the mm. night. Um, but yeah, Jennifer was like, "No, I don't, I don't think you that, should." That would have shown your dedication to the film, but maybe in the, the wrong way. Yeah, and it would have taken me three months to grow my beard back again. So, yeah. mm. if I'd been lockdown again, maybe I'd have just. Might, not not only that, but also I think anyone anyone else dressed like Christopher Lee was there, everyone would be trying to work out which eighties football pundit you were dressed as. <laughs> They'd think you were like match of the day or something like that, you know the the check the check jacket, the moustache, you know. I think it, Tottenham won, Fulham nil. That's true, and especially seeing there's a lot of the people at a Halloween party aren't massive horror fans. Yeah. So None of them at all, I'm guessing, apart from Adam and possibly Dean, would have even seen this film. So I would have cut my beard off to be a character that nobody even knew who they were. It seems a little bit ridiculous. Even Jennifer had to take pictures of Lavinia Morley so that every time somebody went, who are you? She could send them the photograph and actually show what it was, uh, Yeah, what she was aiming for. Um, excellent. But she did a bloody good job. She did, she did, it was, yeah. As indeed did everyone on person for Crimson Altar. Yes, oh, fantastic movie. Excellent, so I'm so glad we finally managed to get around to covering this. Mm -hmm. um, next, we are going to, at Adam's behest, mm -hmm. going to be covering one of those films that is such a large part of the horror pantheon, I can't believe we're only just coming to it now. Um, so for next week's episode, we're going to watch The Omen. Oh, yes. The original that, film. That is interesting. I have wanted to watch that for probably worryingly getting into uh, 20, 20 years, possibly right. more, maybe more than that. I have to say that of the, of the big creepy kid, mm. well, of the two, of The Omen versus The Exorcist, Hmm. I'm probably in the Omen camp more than the Exorcist. Ooh, that's interesting. There's just just something works. I mean, it's a different it's a different take. It's not a possessed kid, but yeah, there's um, mm. much, much just fun. incredible. Mm. Much fun to be had. Yeah, I think it's one of those that you know. Obviously, I've heard of it a lot, and it's well known in, in culture. But yeah, it was never clear to me exactly why I would want to watch it. You know, it's, I don't know exactly what it does well or why it is such a classic. 
I th I think it was one of those things that just had such a it had such a cultural impact. But again, it might be a bit more like Psycho, mm. where because of that, you might find it more yeah okay surprising in a weird yeah. way. Because I think yeah. it, it actually similarly in the way that a lot of people reacted with The Exorcist, where everyone was like, "Oh, I thought it was just in the bedroom." But, mm. And, yeah. off. and it's yeah. like, no, no, there's a whole <laughs> So, yeah, I think, and I think, weirdly enough, I think the Omen doesn't even have the thing of an iconic moment that people use. Mm. They just have the concept of, like, a, well, the Antichrist. Yeah. And, yeah. The and the name Damien associated yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that name was forever now. You can't have a kid called Damien, but, can you? But what, what that triggers in my mind is the only of Fools and Horses. <laughs> and, that is, and that is exactly based on... Yeah. This. Although, although they, they also used... They always used the Karl Orff music, like, which people seem to think is the music of Damien. No, uh, to the Omen. No. Mm. That's a perfectly good score by Jerry Goldsmith. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we shall be talking about that. And I shall probably be rubbing mm. my legs. <laughs> they definitely well, I will look forward to that <laughs> <laughs> right thanks ever so much for listening everybody um, uh, go and check out Curse of the Crimson Altar if you haven't again I think we've tried to stay for our, our American friends oh yeah the Crimson, the Crimson Cult. Cult yeah um, and go and check out The Omen ahead of time for next week if you haven't already seen it or if like me you haven't seen it in probably 20 years <laughs> um, and we will return next week. Oh, go and check out Not For Everyone podcast as always. Uh, they must have Halloween 3 coming up soon. Mm. I'm really looking forward to that. I believe they're recording it this weekend. Yeah. So uh, oh, fantastic. I've, I've been uh, <laughs> champing at the bit for that. Um, yeah. And we will see you all next week for The Omen. Night. Night. Bye. I didn't wait.